Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you're new to scripture, uh, I wanna encourage you, you can open your smartphone or you can open your Bible, go to the far right, almost towards the end, and you'll eventually come to this little letter of 1 John, where John has been reminding us throughout the course of this sermon series that being a Christian is more than a name. In fact, over and over again throughout the course of this letter, basically John is showing us that talk is cheap. Many people profess to be a Christian. They say, oh, I'm a Christian. And they will do so confidently because they grew up in maybe a religious background. Maybe their grandfather was a preacher or maybe their grandmother was the most godly prayer warrior of a woman they've ever known in their life. Maybe they've grown up with an idea of family values and they have kind of a moral code, so to speak, that they live by. They know what's good and what's bad. And, and, and as a result of that, they've got maybe a hard work ethic and they're overall a pretty decent person. But I wanna remind us that pretty decent people, when all is said and done, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pretty decent people die and spend an eternity separated from God. You can be religious, you can go to church, you can be a pretty decent person, your grandfather could have been a preacher, but that doesn't mean that you're really a Christian. The word Christian literally means belonging to, relating to, and resembling Jesus Christ. So that brings up a question, doesn't it? Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Are you in relationship with Jesus Christ? When people around you are watching you, do they see Jesus in you? It's, it's so interesting to me to point out that the title Christian was not a term that was arrived at by those who were Christians. In, in the book of Acts in the city of Antioch, there were unbelievers in the city of Antioch that were looking at this group of people whose life had been changed. They were living one way and then they were living a different way. And that different way meant that they gathered together and they fellowshiped and they loved one another and they prayed and they talked about the scriptures. And the watching world saw such an amazing change through this group of people that they began to ask them, what's the change? Why have you changed? Why aren't you doing those things anymore? Why are you loving each other? in this way and they would say loud and clear because Jesus died and Jesus rose again and Jesus is the Lord of our life and based upon the fact that their lives were changed by Jesus the unbelievers in Antioch said then surely you are Christians you belong to Jesus you're in relationship with Jesus you're resembling him to us so that's the question that we're asking throughout the series is simply this are you truly a Christian are you a follower of Jesus and throughout this letter of 1 John John has given us several reminders, several evidences of things that will be true in our life if we are genuinely a follower of Christ. In fact, he's been kind of listing them as a series of evidences, and I've been bringing them to you as, as, a, as a place of examination, kind of as a test, questions to ask ourselves as we truly examine, am I genuinely a follower of Christ or am I just a cultural Christian? Today, we come to yet again another question that I wanna ask you sincerely to, to consider today and to examine your life. Here's the question. Whether you're watching online, the CLC, or here in the worship center, here's the question. Are you abiding in Jesus Christ? Are you abiding in Jesus Christ? Now, I confess that probably 80% of the people in this room are like, what in the world does that even mean, right? That's a very confusing word. We do not use the word abide or abiding in our culture very often. And so we hear that question, am I abiding in Jesus? I don't even know exactly what I'm asking myself right now. Like it, it's a little bit confusing. It reminds me of the, of the young freshman college student. He went to the university and, and he, he, he was pretty confident that he knew a pretty good amount. And somehow he snuck in on an upperclassman class and he got in and within the first week, he was so confident. But by the end of the first week, he realized, oh my goodness, I'm in over my head. But he continued on. He thought, if I keep on, I'll get it. Finally, halfway through the semester came and he knew he was completely lost. One day he happened to come to class. He sat on the front row and he wore a big old t-shirt with a huge letter K on it. 
And the professor was, was, it called his attention. So the professor said, hey, son, what does the K on your shirt mean? He said, professor, it means I'm confused. I'm confused. And he looked at the student. He said, wait a second, son. The word confused starts with a C. He said, professor, you don't know just how confused I really am, right? Sometimes we hear that word abide and we're like, what in the world does that even mean? The word abide means to live with, to continue with, or to remain in. To live with, to continue with, or to remain in. The word is used to describe a closeness and a deeply connected relationship. Now today, we don't use that word very often, but we use other similar words and phrases to describe the same sort of idea. Let me illustrate that for just a moment. Uh, About a week or so ago, I was speaking to a lady whose daughter plays softball, travel softball team. And, and, and I was asking a question or two about the tournaments and because I know it's a big part of that world. And she began to describe, well, this weekend we're going here and this weekend we're going here and this weekend we're going here. And as I heard the schedule, I was like, wow, how do you have time for life? Y'all are on the road all the time. And I'll never forget her make the same. She said, well, this time of the year, these are the people, and here's a phrase, I do life with. She was saying, this is my tribe. These are the people I'm spending time with. These are the people that I am traveling with. These are the people that I'm sharing hotel rooms with. These are the people that I'm eating with. These are the people during this season of the year that I am completely and utterly, totally connected to. All of life is kind of put on the side as I pursue these things. Now to be clear, there's wonderful relationships that can be gathered in that context and it can of course be encouraging. And about abiding with this team or abiding with this group for this season, he's talking talking about a closeness of relationship that never fades, that never fails. A closeness of relationship that is not just a temporary season. It's that our lives are consisting of abiding in Christ. So today, are you abiding in Christ? Are you in relationship with him? Are you, so to speak, doing life with Jesus? First John chapter two, to help us answer that question, I want us to read God's word and see what God's word says about it. And if you're physically able to do so, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? We're gonna begin in verse 18. And let me just kind of give you a, a disclaimer. And that is, prepare yourself for the first three verses. Because John is gonna make a few statements that are kind of shocking in some ways. But he does so because he's teaching us a very important truth about many who sit on church pews and attend church services every single week. Listen to what he says. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. For whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you've heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. Verse 26. These things I have written to you concerning those, key statement, who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and for this time together. Lord, this idea of abiding in Christ in some ways is foreign to us because it's such a unique word to our context and culture. And yet it is what you've called us to do. So God, I pray that through your word today and through the Holy Spirit speaking into our lives, that you would help us to understand what you're saying. 
And not just to understand it, but to respond in a, with, a, with, a, with a repentance and respond in a place of renewal where today we would leave here changed by what you do. And we'll give you the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. you may be seated this morning. I wanna preach to you on the subject this morning simply abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. Jesus in John chapter 15 gave us a very clear illustration of what it means to abide in Christ. He gave us the picture, the illustration of, uh, if you will, a grapevine, the vine and the branches. When I think about that illustration, my mind goes back to my granddaddy Willis, who in his house in Taylor, Alabama, he used to have grapevines. Specifically, if you were in Alabama, we called them scuplins and muscadines. That's what you had on those grapevines. And we would go out to those grapevines and, and he took care of them and he loved them. And of course, he would have these long rows and he would have ropes or he'd have barbed wire, whatever, depending on the situation was. And, and sure enough, you could look at those vines and you could see the plant. You could see the roots that went down into the ground. And then you could see it coming up and he would guide and direct those branches. And everywhere where those branches are being led and directed according to the, for lack of a better term, the vine dresser, the caregiver's desires, you would see fruitfulness and you would see those scuplins and you would see those muscadines. And man, it was incredible. In fact, they would always tell us you can fill your bucket and then take it in the house and we'll clean them and eat them. But I never had anything in my bucket because I ate them as I went, okay? It was wonderful. But every time you'd go to those grapevines, you would also see in the process a series of branches that were laying on the ground. They had been broken off for whatever reason. There they were laying completely lifeless. Why? Because they were no longer connected to the vine. Jesus gives that illustration in John chapter 15 to remind us that the life, eternal life and abundant life is not in and of ourselves. Our culture says, hey, you can do it. Be your own best person. Have some sort of faith. And all of a sudden, you're gonna have eternal life and you're gonna live life to the fullest. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. In order to have eternal life and to have abundant life, you've gotta be connected to the vine. Who's the vine? It's Jesus himself. And so that picture there is the idea of being in relationship, being in harmony with, being continually connected to um, the vine, which is Jesus Christ. It's in that context that John now begins to tell us about the importance of abiding in Christ. And as we look at this text, I want us to see three things about it. The first thing John points us to, frankly, is something that should absolutely get our attention. It's something that his listeners in that day would have paused, they would have sat in silence, and they would have sat, frankly, in a place of reflection, and I believe even weeping at the truth that John explained, and that is this. He tells us the warning of those who do not abide in Christ. There's a warning about those who do not abide in Christ. As John begins this passage of scripture, he begins with a very sad truth, and that is this. Within the context of the church, there will be wolves in sheep's clothing within the church. Paul said it this way in Acts chapter 20 as he's looking at the church in Ephesus. He literally says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. By the time John pins these words, he's already said in verse 26, I know there are some who are trying to deceive you. By the time John penned these words, there in the early church, they were believing Jesus, they were worshiping Jesus, they were gathering together in some context, and yet the Bible says there were false teachers that were coming in, and they were saying, hey, listen, we know that truth about Jesus, but let me tell you about this new revelation. Let me tell you about this new vision. Let me tell you about this new idea. Let me tell you about this, this new concept. Let me tell you about this new science. Let me tell you about this new popular trend. And the Bible says they were doing this to pervert the gospel. They were doing this to draw people away from Jesus and unto themselves. There were many who were being deceived. There were many who were believing the lies. There were many who were giving to the pressure of that culture. It's in that context that John gives us a powerful warning about those who do not abide in Christ. I want you to see three things about them. Number one, I want you to see their deception. Their deception. It is not merely that they are being deceived, it's that they have also deceived themselves. John uses a title here, a word. This is not John name calling in a 
childish way, he's speak, simply speaking the truth of what they are. And he uses this word that should startle us in some ways. He says in verse 18, children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming. Now, time out, pause for just a moment. If you're new to the Bible, new to the Christian faith, you do not fully understand maybe the details, and maybe you've been in church for a long time. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that there is coming a day where someone known as the Antichrist will come to power, he will rule, he will reign, and frankly, he's the full embodiment of all that is deceptive and all that is destructive because he's a direct tool of Satan himself. Now, I believe, based upon the book of Revelation, that the Antichrist will not come into power until after the church has been raptured out of this broken, fallen world. But the bottom line is, the book of Revelation tells us about this future leader known as the Antichrist. Some say, well, why does that matter to me? Because that's a future thing. Here's why it matters, verse 18. Even now, many, if you will, little a Antichrist have appeared. From this, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. In other words, today, you need not wait for the future to understand who the future Antichrist is when the reality is the spirit of the Antichrist is at work in the world today. First John chapter four, verse three, two chapters later, here's what John says. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. In other words, the same spirit that will empower the Antichrist in the last days is currently already at work in the world today to bring confusion and to bring deception about who Jesus is, about what he came to do, and about what he's going to do even in the future. In fact, we hear that word Antichrist, and we should pause for a moment to think, well, what does this mean? That Greek prefix anti literally means instead of or against. The spirit of the Antichrist is still working in our world even today, basically to, to come against Jesus Christ and to cause people to look to other things and other people and other movements instead of Jesus Christ. And here's the most troubling part of it all, I believe. John says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. In other words, John's looking at this assembly of believers and he's saying this. There were many who were in our midst. They, they talked with us, they ate with us, they, they knew the songs, they, they knew the Sunday school lessons, they knew the Bible answers, they, they even served and, and they even gave and, and outwardly they had an appearance, outwardly they, they looked to be like a Christian and outwardly they professed these things. But here's a reality. They were not really of us. They looked the part, talked the part, acted a certain way, but in the end, there had not been a change that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. They said they know Jesus, but there was not a genuine change that had happened in their life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, the Bible tells us in the last days there are going to be people turning to all sorts of things because, frankly, they're, they're living for themselves and they're trying to find a religion that's about them. And so, therefore, they, they adjust things. They twist things in God's word. They delete things in God's words. So, frankly, their life can be about themselves and not about the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. It says this, They are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power. And then he gives an instruction, avoid such men as these. They have an outward form of godliness. They, they know the songs. They, they might clap. They might go to church. Their granddaddy might have been a preacher. Their grandmama might have been a saint. They have all these outward appearances, but they have not been genuinely saved because they have not been genuinely changed. Perhaps the saddest reality of this deception is not only Satan's description of them, but that they have also deceived themselves. Are you a follower of Jesus? Well, yes, my granddaddy was a preacher. Well, that's not what I'm asking. Are you a follower of Jesus? Well, absolutely, I was baptized when I was a baby. Well, are you a follower of Jesus? Well, I was confirmed and went through confirmation classes when I was 13. That's all well and good. But when you answer that way, all you're doing is telling me about the religious motives, heart, and goals of those who have gone before you. That does not describe your own personal relationship with Jesus. 
So the question is, do you have relationship with Jesus? Many have convinced themselves that they are at peace with God because they have an outward form of godliness. But the only way to be at peace with God is to personally accept his son as the Lord and Savior of your life. Their deception. Secondly, I want you to see their departure. Their departure. John says it this way. Those that are not truly belonging to Christ, here's what he says in verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. They departed, so to speak. They abandoned, if you will. Now, I think we need to take a moment because of the gross misunderstandings of what some have taught in the context of the evangelical church. We need to talk for a moment about what this is not saying. John is not talking here about church attendance, okay? There are some who will say, well, you know, if you're not faithful in church attendance and if you're, if you're going here and there and you haven't been in church late in a long time, then, then that's a sign that you're not saved. That's not what he's talking about. In fact, I would say today in our culture, there are many people who have been hurt in the church and by the church and they're no longer active in participation in the church. Um, I would also say in the process of a pandemic, there are many people because of concerns and other issues, they're not yet in personal fellowship. And frankly, we should be burdened for those individuals. We should be praying for those individuals. And as Christians, we should be seeking to love them and invite them back to be a part of that fellowship of believers. The bottom line is this, at best, they will be limited in their growth if they continue to separate themselves from the bride that Jesus gave himself for. And at worst, they're in a very vulnerable place because Satan uses the distance to draw away to weaken attack. So that's not what we're talking about here. But we have a responsibility as Christians. There are some even denominations today that would say, well, if you leave our church and go to another church, if you leave our group and go to another group, then you're forfeiting your salvation. That is not what God's word is saying. The last time I checked, no denomination had the power to determine eternal life, all right? Only God determines that, and that is by grace through faith so that none of us can boast. So, so that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here, and we're gonna see in just a moment loud and clear, is this. It's like John is saying, there were some who were with us. They said they believed in Jesus. They lived here with us. They sang the songs. They served. They did some good. However, when they heard the false teachers, when they were hungry for greater truth than Jesus, when they were more focused on the things of this world, they then rejected and they departed. They are no longer with us because they were never really and truly of us. It's a sobering statement. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives a picture of this as he gives us the parable of the sower that goes out to sow seed. The seed was the word of God. And the Bible tells us four different pictures of the heart, the soil, and how they respond to that seed. And the Bible tells us those first three seeds that were sown, there was some sort of, of measure. It seemed like there was some sort of response. At least in the third case, there was a seed that was planted and it seemed like the plant was starting to grow and there was something beautiful. But instantly the Bible says, when the sun came out, it withered up and it dried and it was completely destroyed. There was a another the seed was planted and yet it began to grow and then suddenly the thorns and all the issues of life choked out the life that was there and Jesus makes this statement in Matthew chapter 13 listen to the words when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart this is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road the one on whom the seed was sown in the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary. And when affliction and persecution arises because of the world, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. What was Jesus saying? Here's what he's saying. He is saying there are some who have an appearance, even seem to be fruitful for a temporary season. But there is no real change because there is no real relationship with Jesus Christ. No doubt one of the most difficult questions to be asked and to be considered as a pastor is this. Pastor, I saw so-and-so and they, were, they seemed to be real and they seemed to be authentic and they seemed to be in the right fellowship and today they're nowhere near, they're nowhere around, they're not in the right fellowship, I see no fruit. In fact, they're completely rejecting Jesus. They're completely standing against Jesus. 
And while God only knows every single person's heart and life, John gives us a sobering reality. Here's what he says. They went out from us because they never were really of us. These very same people, Paul would say it this way, for many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. They depart because they were never truly following Jesus from a heart and life that had been changed. And here's what we see next. The third thing I want you to see is their denial. John says it loud and clear. This is not about church attendance. Though I would encourage you, every fruitful believer is going to be fellowshipping with other believers. That's just simply how God has designed it. That is his plan. It's not about church attendance though. It's not what he's talking about. It's not about a certain denomination over another. It's all about Jesus Christ and your relationship with him. Notice what he says loud and clear in verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. In other words, they deny that Jesus is the Savior. They deny that Jesus is their Lord and ruler. They deny that Jesus is personally their Savior. John says it loud and clear in 1 John chapter 4 as he's talking about people who have an outward form of religious activity, an outward form of morality and godliness. He points them all back to this. What are you doing with Jesus? Here's what he says in 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, loud and clear, highlight this, put a big star there. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. In other words, those who deny that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Lord, the Bible says they have deceived, they have denied Christ, and they are not with him. Those who deny Christ are not with Christ, even though they may outwardly appear to be so. And this is why Billy Graham, many years ago, that he said loud and clear that he thought that probably 75% of the average person that sits on a church pew did not know Jesus. I don't know that that's true or not. That was his opinion. Here's the bottom line. Do you know Jesus? Have you confessed Jesus Christ to be your Savior and your Lord? There's a warning about those who do not abide in Christ. I'm simply asking you to examine where do you stand? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? But out of that warning comes an incredible list of wonderful truths about those who do abide in Christ. So I want you to see secondly this morning, the wonders of those who do abide in Christ. If you stood with me, would you say all right? John kind of takes an about face to these warnings because John's concerned like, don't be deceived, don't add to the gospel, don't pervert the gospel, don't abandon, if you will. And what he does is he turns from there to say, now listen, those of you who do abide in Christ, let me remind you of some incredible truths about your standing before God. Let me remind you of what God has done in you, what he is doing for you, and how he's gonna to continue to work through you. It's like John is saying, listen, I know that the world is broken and I know there are false prophets and I know there are deceivers and I know there's wolves in sheep's clothing and I know the enemy is persistent, but believer, child of God, those who are abiding in Jesus, let me remind you of the truth that we have in Christ. Four things that he says. Number one, you are saved through faith. You are saved through faith. 
In other words, this morning, nobody is saved by merit, by race, by good intentions, by wealth, by any other means. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one, nobody may boast. We are saved through faith, but this is not merely faith for faith's sake. Faith is only as powerful as its object. Many people in our day to day, well, you just gotta have faith. You just gotta have faith and you'll have eternal, you just gotta have faith and you'll be saved. Not necessarily. Here's the question. Who are you putting your faith in? Are you putting your faith in your good works? Because that ain't gonna cut it. You putting your faith in the Muslim religion? That ain't gonna cut it. You putting your faith in your Mennonite heritage? That ain't gonna cut it. You putting your faith in your church attendance across thing? That ain't gonna cut it either. It's all about who you're putting your faith in, what you're putting your faith in, because saving faith is always expressed through confessing Jesus alone as Lord. Saving faith is expressed through confessing Jesus as Lord. What does he say in verse 23? The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. He's talking about confessing faith in who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Savior, he is the Lord, and you're accepting him as your own. Paul would agree in Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10, here's what he said. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, here's the promise, say it with me, you will be saved. You might be saved, no. You might feel good about it, no. You will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. So here's the question. Who is Jesus to you? In your life, who is Jesus to you? Is he your savior? Is he your Lord, your, your master, your ruler, so to speak? Or are you living for someone or something else? Because saving faith always expresses itself through confessing Jesus as Lord. No wonder then Jesus would make this statement in Matthew chapter 10. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who's in heaven. Saving faith also always expresses itself through confessing Jesus as Lord. Secondly, you're saved through faith, hallelujah. Secondly, you are sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God. The word sanctified means to be set apart. Sometimes people would refer to this as an anointing, if you will. The Bible tells us loud and clear here in verse 20, this simple statement. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and listen to this forward phrase, and you all know. Now, what does that mean? In the Old Testament, the Bible tells us there were times that God chose a specific king. Or at times, God raised into service a, a priest. And those who were being chosen by God for a specific purpose, according to God's glory and plan, they were anointed symbolically in an outward way with the anointing of oil. And this anointing with oil was in many ways saying, uh, uh, this person is sanctified. This person is set apart for God's glory and for God's purposes. They're set apart to basically to serve and to follow the Lord. Well, did you know that the Bible tells us that when we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the very moment we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we confess Jesus Christ as Lord of our life, the very moment that happens, several incredible, wonderful things happen. We're forgiven of our sins. We are saved and rescued from our sin. And the Bible tells us in that moment that the Holy Spirit of God anoints us, not outwardly, but inwardly. He comes to dwell within us. That's why 1 John chapter 2, verse 27 says it this way. The anointing which you receive from him abides in you. When you believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you're forgiven and you're cleansed, but the Holy Spirit of God comes inside of you to sanctify you and set you apart. In other words, what the Bible is telling us loud and clear is the Holy Spirit sets us apart for God's specific glory and purposes. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized, not just a few, not just to those who had this other experience, for all who believed in Jesus, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. And here's a little phrase that I love. 
and this you know. Let me just pause for just a moment. I don't want you to answer out loud, all right? Here's the question. Have you been anointed and set apart by the Holy Spirit of God? Because the Bible says if you have, you will know it. How do you you know it? Because when he takes permanent residence in your life, he changes you. He transforms you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter six, literally our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, when I begin to think back to those things that I used to do, when I'm tempted to do those things that I used to do, instead, there's a conviction to avoid those things. If I stumble and fall along the way, there's a conviction that brings me to a place of repentance. Why? Because I'm not the person I used to be. I've been radically changed and sanctified by the presence of God in my life. It's an anointing that happens through the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us loud and clear that not only does Jesus change, not only does the Holy Spirit's presence change us, he changes our want-tos. You know when you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit because he's bringing it to, I don't, I don't even want to do the things that I used to do. I don't want to go that path. I don't want to be like a dog returning to my vomit anymore. I don't want to go, no, no. I want my life to not be lived for myself, but for the Lord who saved me and changed me and promised me his presence and also heaven. So you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. There's a third thing. I love this. For those who abide in Christ, you are sure of salvation. You are sure of salvation. Verse 25, this is the promise which he himself made to us eternal life. Not too long ago, I sat down with a gentleman and we were talking about some things. And the more we talked, we were started talking about some doctrinal things, but the more we talked, the more I, I just realized a place of uncertainty that I need to ask about. And so I just asked him the question. I said, man, you, I hope I don't offend you with this question, but let me just be blunt about it. If you were to stand before God right now Would he allow you into heaven? If you were to stand before God right now, I mean, I know you told me about your church background. I, I heard all, I mean, I heard all that. I know, I know we're talk, we were talking some pretty deep theological things. If you were to stand before God right now, would you be allowed into heaven? Well, I hope so. Well, why do you hope so? Well, you know, we could never really know for sure. And the truth is, there are many who feel that way. That's not what God's word says. God's word says you can know that you know that you can know that you're, as sure as you are that you're sitting there right this moment, as sure as you are that most of you are still awake and listening to the message. I mean, as sure as you know these things, You can know without a doubt that you have the gift of eternal life, that heaven is your home, and that when this world is over, you're gonna be with the Lord. John says it this way in 1 John chapter five. He says, listen, the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And here it is, loud and clear. This life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, not hope so, maybe so, I hope, kind of so, that you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, our salvation is not based upon our feelings. It's not based upon our good works. It's not based upon our baptism as a baby. It's not based upon some confirmation class. It's not based upon some creed. Our salvation is based upon the promise of God that whoever believes in Jesus and confesses him as Lord, all caps, will be saved. You can know that you are saved. And here's the reality. When you are abiding with Jesus, You're walking with Jesus, doing life with Jesus. When he is your focus, when he is the source of your joy, when he is the Lord, you won't have any doubt. You'll have an assurance that you belong to him and he to you. Finally, benefit for those who do abide in Christ is this. You are shown the truth through the word of God. You don't wander through life aimlessly. There might be moments where you're not certain about what God's will is, so you seek him in prayer. 
but you're not wandering aimlessly, nor are you left without resources when the wolves come. Notice what he says in verse 27. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now, please understand, some people say, oh, well, see, this means that we can all interpret the Bible however we want to. We don't need teachers for that. That's not what John is saying here, okay? The apostle Paul would speak about the spiritual gift of teaching and he would talk about his own teaching and God's benefits from it at least 20 times in his letter. So that's not what he's talking about. Remember, false teachers were coming into the church. They were proclaiming a perverted gospel, if you will. And here's what Paul is saying. He said, listen, believer, you've got the scriptures and you've got the Holy Spirit. You don't need some new message, right? See, the problem with these perverted gospel, these false prophets that were coming in, they were trying to draw people for themselves. We'll say, we've got this new vision, we've got this new thing, and if you don't know about the new things that God is doing, you've got to come to us. Uh, Not to be rude, but when you study the history of the church, it seems like in every movement, certainly in the context of, of, of some movements more so than others, there were people who came and said, this is our way and this is the way you have to do it and you're not gonna see this in God's word, but you gotta receive this from us. Please understand, anytime a minister's message draws people to himself instead of Christ, there is something wrong. What John is saying is this, you don't need some new teacher You've got the Holy Spirit of God and you've got the word of God to lead you and to guide you. Have you ever, it's an amazing thing. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. And what did Jesus pray in John chapter 17, verse 17? He said, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In other words, today we have the entirety of God's word. If you're a follower of Jesus abiding in him, you got the Holy Spirit in your life and the Holy Spirit's leading is always consistent with the word of God. So he leads us. He guides us. He shows us the truth. He sheds light on the path to lead us in the ways that we are to go. Final thing I want you to see. If you're still with me, would you say, uh-huh? Y'all sound real good this morning. Man, being a boy from Alabama, that sounds pretty redneckish if I'm honest about it. But, uh, oh, yeah. That guy had a growl in his voice. All right, number three. I want you to see the work of those who abide in Christ. We're gonna wrap up here real quick. The work of those who abide in Christ. Some today will criticize and say, well, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out, time out. Abiding in Christ is not about working. Some say, oh, abiding in Christ, it is all about our position in Christ. And it's all about what Christ has already done. And to that, I would, I would, I would agree to a major extent. Because the Bible tells us loud and clear, we are saved by grace through faith. It is not of work so that no one may boast. Not enough, you can't do enough good works to bring about your salvation. The only work they bring about salvation was the finished work of Christ on the cross. Our, our response is simply one of response. It's that of faith in Jesus. But I do want to remind us that real, genuine, soul-saving, life-changing faith has results in our life. And one of the things it produces in our life is good works. Ephesians 2, right after it talks about grace through faith, it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. James 2.26 says it this way, just as the body without the spirit is dead, also faith without works is dead. Now many in our Bible Belt, Shenandoah Valley culture hear the message of works, and here's what they do. They come into a church building, they come into an assembly, they don't repent of their sins, they don't confess Christ as Lord, they just start doing all the different works, and they convince themselves that they're fine with God because they're doing all these good works, when the reality is they never even began a relationship. And in the end, it's gonna be exposed when they stand before God. But for all who believe in Jesus, Repent of our sin, confess him as Lord of our life. The Bible says when he becomes our Lord and Savior, he has created us unto good works. In other words, that soul-saving, life-changing faith is going to manifest itself. It's going to demonstrate itself through good works. Well, what does that work in 1 John chapter 2? Notice verse 28. It's interesting to note that up to this point, when we see the word abide, we see it in some ways almost like a, a passive context. You've believed in Jesus and now you abide in Christ. 
You believed in Jesus and now the Holy Spirit abides in you. It's kind of like this is all that God has done. But now God gives us a word of command. Verse 28. Now, little children, a command, instruction, do this. Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. In other words, God is showing us that our abiding in Christ, it's not only about our position in Christ. It's about our ongoing practice, conduct, relationship, and commitment to Christ. Maybe this is a horrible illustration. It seems like most every illustration you can use at some point breaks down. But, but the bottom line is this. A good father always loves and cares for, and is connected to his child. However, the closeness of that relationship is likely dependent upon the ongoing efforts of both father and child. Sometimes earthly fathers, we're very different than our heavenly father because we can at times be distracted. We can at times turn to other things. We may not give the time, attention, and need that is needed in a given moment. But our heavenly father is not like that. He loves faithfully. He's constantly with us. He's constantly in tune of our needs. He is always ready to fellowship. The question is whether we are making the intentional priority and effort to walk closely with him. God loves us. If you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you've been adopted into his family. You're positioned in Christ. But the closeness and depth of that relationship will largely be dependent upon our faithfulness to abide with him. So here's the question. Are you abiding in Jesus? John ends with this little summary. Here's what he says. And all those who abide in Jesus, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Can I just remind you this morning? Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for your sins. And three days later, he rose again from the grave. He appeared to hundreds of witnesses over a 40-day period. And in Acts chapter 1, he ascended to heaven, where today he's in heaven coming again. Here's my final question for you. Jesus is indeed coming again. And the question is this. Are you ready? Are you ready? See, those who are not in relationship with Jesus... The thought of Jesus coming again either causes them to fear or causes them to deny and dismiss it. Oh, that's just made up. That's just what church people say. You know, it's not really gonna happen, whatever. They dismiss it because they don't wanna accept the reality that they're gonna stand before God. But there's also another group of people who are Christians they know the truth that Jesus is coming again, but frankly, the thought of Jesus coming back again today causes them much shame because they've not really been walking in relationship. They've not been abiding. Other distractions and other things, frankly, have become a top priority. But the believer who's abiding in Christ the believer who's, who's closely connected, who's in close relationship, the believer that's fellowshipping with the Lord and spending time uh, in his word, the believer that's walking in relationship in the, in the way that they pray and they're close to the Lord, when they think of Jesus coming again, they're confident. They're not only confident, they're excited. They're not only excited, they're anticipating. Jesus is coming again. This world's not my home. I'm almost out of here, guys. Let's go. So, are you someone who needs Jesus? Because ready or not, he's coming. Are you someone who has Jesus, but frankly, 
you've been called and distant, friend, ready or not, he's coming. The other alternative is this. You can abide in Jesus. And as you do, you will experience the joy, the wonder, and the abundance of the life that he has called us to. Perfect in this side of the, this, this world? No. But man, what a blessing to know that we're abiding in Christ. We're walking with him. We're in relationship with him. Pastor Scott sings this song all the time. You can have all this world. That's all right. Just give me Jesus. I pray that's our prayer today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the ways that you speak to our heart and life. I pray, God, that if there's anyone here today that needs to be in relationship with you, I pray that today would be the day that they repent of their sin and today would be that moment where they confess Christ as Lord. There is none of us who have sufficient works to bring about salvation for our souls. Only the work that Jesus did for us can bring about salvation. So God, today, would you bring salvation to our hearts and lives? God, I pray for any Christian today that has been distant and cold in their relationship with you. While you have saved them, while you have changed them today, they can't really say that they're obeying that call to abide in Christ. So God, I pray today would be a day like the prodigal son coming home, would be a day where they turn from their sin and turn from their distractions, turn from their idolatries and turn to you to follow you again as Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Father, for those believers who are abiding in you even now, (laughs) they know it. And even as they think about the return of Jesus and the rapture that will take place, as they think about that wonderful truth, even now there's a sense of excitement within them. God, today would you for those of us who are abiding in you, that would you convict us? Would you open our eyes to help us see those around us who need to be drawn to you? That we might be your hands and your feet to minister to them. Have your way right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.